This morning I want to focus in a little bit on that idea that Peter tells us there about giving us everything pertaining to life and godliness. I want to keep this in mind. We're going to move away from this in context here, but as I often do, I'll, I'll introduce this, and, and this will be the conclusion of the matter as well. But I introduce this in, in, in helping us understand that God hasn't left us without the knowledge that we need. He hasn't left us without the wisdom that we can gain through the knowledge that we uh, can receive through his word. And I say that to, to help us in our struggles in, in life as people will come along and say that uh, God's word is antiquated, that the Bible is, cannot speak to modern day problems that we have and that we have evolved as a, as a species and we are smarter than this now than we were some thousand years ago and, and that God's word really doesn't apply to us anymore because it, how can something written so long ago still apply to us today? And I always come back to verses like this that are, that are so clear and so simple to understand. Peter says that God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. That leaves nothing out. It also leaves no time period out either. Everything applies to us today just as it applies to the audience that Peter was writing to some 2,000 years ago. So with that in mind, I want to um, delve into something that comes, has come across my radar screen, so to speak. I don't do current events kind of preaching very often, but sometimes things come by and I, I feel like they need to be addressed. And so I want to talk this morning about um, some kind of current event kind of thing. And I want to start by giving some information that I, that I found. This is a news article that was printed uh, almost two years ago. And it says there, an estimated 10,000 LGBTQ youth ages 13 to 17 have been protected from conversion therapy by living in states that have banned the contentious practice on minors, according to an updated report from UCLA's Williams Institute. Starting in 2012, keep that year in mind as we go forward, 10 years ago, in California, 18 states and the District of Columbia have banned conversion therapy for those under 18, though no state bans the practice on adults. Conversion therapy needs to be defined. So let's do that in this next thing that I'm going to put up, where it says here, a new Canadian law called C4 outlaw so-called conversion therapy, and here's where it's defined, which is defined in the law as any counseling or advising against transgender or non-binary identity or non-heterosexual sexuality, even if the young person or adult requests it. So we've got to do some linguistics, gymnastics here. Conversion therapy means that if you counsel someone against 
transgender or non-binary identity or non-heterosexual sexuality, you're breaking the law. Now, the article I read to you first was from 2019. This article is from this month. So you can see how things kind of progress. In California, in the United States, this is happening in Canada, obviously. In the United States, it's not against the law, but if you're a counselor and you, in, in these states and you counsel someone against transgender, non-binary identity, non-heterosexuality, you can lose your license. I'll say that again. If you counsel someone against these kinds of practices, you can use your li- lose your license. Now, in Canada, if you do that, you're breaking the law. This is another paragraph from that same article. The new Canadian law, C4, bans any counseling that advocates for the Christian standard that is sex reserved for one man and one woman within marriage. The Daily Wire's morning report. This is where this article comes from. It is also potentially, it also potentially criminalizes any instruction confirming that human beings are created as holy male or female from birth. Criminalizes. If you're counseling or advocating for Christian standards of the proper uh, marital relationship uh, within the mar- sex within the marriage, or that man, you're either a man or a woman from birth, you can be put in jail. Here's the way the law reads. Um, sections there of the law. Conversion therapy means a practice, treatment, or service. And as you can see, that's pretty broad in what that entails. Designed to change a person's sexual orientation towards heterosexuality or change a person's gender identity to cisgender. Now, I didn't know what cisgender meant. I had to look it up. It basically means that I, as a man, identify as a man. That's what cisgender means. If I were to identify as something else, I'm not cisgendered. Now, these words are made up. I'll just be quite frank. But they're made up for a purpose, to drive this agenda forward. So if you try to say, tell someone um, that your gender is something um, that you're, if you're a, a, a boy and you tell that person that he's a boy, that's illegal. If he identifies as something else other than a boy. If you change a person's gender expression so that it conforms to the sex assigned to that person at birth, here again is some more linguistic gymnastics. It's no longer a matter of a child being born and clearly seeing if it's a a male or female. Now the language is that you're assigned a gender or a sex at birth. Not that it's empirically what you are, but rather it is what someone, a doctor, has assigned to you. Or if you repress or reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior, 
or repress a person's non-cisgender gender identity. If you can figure that one out, please see me after this so I can understand that better. Or repress or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the sex assigned to that person at birth. So if you, if conversion therapy, if you're engaged in any of these kind of things, you're breaking the law in Canada. Further in the article it says, notably, influencing a person's sexuality or gender identity is only considered cons conversion therapy when it falls in line with biblical teachings. In other words, conversion therapy is, is what we see in scripture, it, it, converting someone to what we read about, male and female from birth, heterosexuality, those things, if you're trying to convert someone to that, that's what conversion therapy is. Influencing a minor or adult to be gay, non-binary, uh, non or transgender is acceptable. So it's against the law for me to, to tell someone who might be uh, gay or non-binary, transgender, counsel them to, um, to be male or female and heterosexual. That's against the law. But if I take that person and, and try to counsel them to be gay or non-binary or transgender, that's acceptable in the country of Canada. Everyone who knowingly causes another person to undergo conversion therapy, included by providing conversion therapy to that other person, is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than five years, or guilty of an offense punishable by summary conviction. A summary conviction is where the evidence comes before a judge and the judge, without impaneling a jury, just says, oh yeah, you're guilty of that, and can pass judgment on you right there as a summary judgment against you, without you standing before a jury of your peers. Go back to some dates. The first article I put up there was from about two, almost two years ago, but it was reaching back all the way to 2012 when this started happening in the state of California. Flash forward, this article comes from January of this, this month of this year, where Canada has taken that and said, okay, well, not only could you lose your license for that, but we're gonna throw you in jail. And the expression there, practice, treatment, or service, is very broad. Practice, treatment, or service designed to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexuality. So what Canada has done is they have, in a sense, criminalized the free practice of religion. If, take what we're engaged in here this morning and move it to Canada and what I'm about to tell you from scripture if I were to preach that from the pulpit I would be breaking the law and if I were found guilty I could serve up to five years in prison you can see why uh, I felt this was important to bring to your attention because we, we might say well that's happening in Canada but it started in the United States first. Canada has just kind of taken it on and pushed it on to a whole new level. 
So I call this to your attention to, to help us to understand that um, God's word is unchanging. As we started off, um, an understanding that everything pertaining to life and godliness, what we find in the scriptures still applies to us today, just as it did when it was written. And the morality and the teachings that are there are just as crucial, just as prescient, just as applicable to us today as it was when it was written. So let's do a little refresher to help us understand, remind ourselves what God has to say about some of these issues that were brought up. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, it says, And God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. In Genesis chapter 2, Moses is going back and, and writing a little bit more detail about some of the things that took place in those first six days during creation. A little bit more detail about the creation of man himself. He says, The Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The way woman was created, verse 22 of Genesis 2, it says, And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. So right there in the very creation story, we see how God created us, male and female. So when you see terms like non-binary, that is a rejection of what this is telling us. God tells us that he created us male and female. That is binary. That's one of two. Non-binary is a construct and a, a an idea that man has come along and said, well, sex or gender is really arbitrarily assigned at birth. There's all sorts of different sexes and genders out there that you could be. God's word says differently. Even our Lord, when some come to him and ask him about divorce, and they say, can you just put your wife away for any reason? And Jesus has some teaching on that, but at the heart of that teaching is this. He says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. So we might say, well, you know, Genesis, that's, Moses wrote it so long ago, and he's writing about time thousands of years before he was even born, that the Holy Spirit had guided him to write, he's just writing a story. Okay, but how, you're gonna, how are you going to dismiss what our Lord says about that in Matthew 19? Because our Lord confirms, affirms, what was said there, that from the beginning God made them male and female. Not non-binary, but indeed binary, one or the other. So our teaching in the culture of today might come along and say that's all uh, antiquated and, and ridiculous. God's word says otherwise, and I believe in what God's word says. A little further refresher. Some other things that we can remind ourselves of. In Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, this is a codified in the law of Moses. It says, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. So in the example here of counseling someone, uh, 
against being homosexual. In Canada, I'd be breaking the law if I said those things. God's word says it's an abomination. So who are we going to side with? Will we side with the passing winds of the current culture, or are we going to side with Jehovah, our God and our creator? And you say again, well, that's under the law of Moses. We, we, can't, that's, we don't bind that on people anymore. Well, we can bring that into the New Testament. Where Paul is talking about this in Romans chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. He says, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their, woman exchanged, their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men con committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. So Paul brings this discussion into the New Testament and says this goes along with what is being said there about it being an abomination and echoes that sentiment in telling his readers that God gave them over to those degrading passions. Indecent acts. And he says they received the due penalty of their error. So again, if I'm counseling someone that, you're, that it's wrong, that homosexuality is wrong, and that God has ordained heterosexuality, in Canada, I am breaking the law. Further in this, you say, well, it doesn't really say that, that it's right there. Paul's just pointing to it. He doesn't really say that. Well, 1 Corinthians 6 and verses 9 and 10 helps to clear this up a little bit further. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do, you not, uh, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. So I underlined and highlighted those things. He says, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he further defines the unrighteous as those who are fornicators, idolaters, effeminate, and homosexuals. And he says again, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. So when we are talking to people and when we see these things out in the culture and see that uh, people are so easily dismissing and uh, apologizing for and accepting homosexuality, we can come to passages like this and see how God treats that. Those practices are fornicators, uh, fornication, idolatry, adultery. All those things are in the world. Thievery, covetousness, drink, drunkenness. All that's still in the world. But People are slow to think about or, or dismiss that someone can just con continue in a life, of, a life of stealing, but they're at the same time okay with someone continuing in a lifestyle that's among this list here of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. So again, we look for simple teaching. We look for simple, uh, timeless knowledge and wisdom from God's word.
So what do we do? What must we do, given all this? Well, 2 Peter 1, verse 3, God's given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. So if I want to be, uh, if I want to live a godly life, I can look in the scriptures and God will tell me how I ought to live. And indeed, this holds true for this topic that we're discussing. If I want to know what I need to do, I can look at passages like Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. As Peter there is under arrest and he's being, um, he comes before his accusers and they're telling him that he needs to stop preaching and teaching the gospel. Peter says in chapter 5 and verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. And earlier, when he's arrested earlier, same kind, very similar circumstances. They're telling him to stop uh, teaching and preaching about this man, Jesus Christ, and him crucified. He says, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. You hear what, he's, what Peter is saying there? Um, you, if it's right in the sight of God... If you want me to choose between you and God and you think that's okay, that that's a choice that's okay, that I can be uh, either, either way, you or God, you be the judge of that. For we cannot stop speaking that which we have seen and heard. You might think it's okay to, to come down to a decision, well, you know, man says this and God says this and they're, they're at odds with each other. Okay, I'm going to go with, with what man says. No, you judge that. If you want to do that, you go do that. Well, Peter says, we're not going to stop speaking that which we have seen and heard. Remember who's speaking here. What had Peter seen? <laughs> Peter had seen the Lord. He'd seen him crucified. He had seen him resurrected. He had seen him ascend into heaven. And he had, been, he had learned at his feet about what God's law is. And so Peter had seen it, he had heard it from the mouth of, of our Lord, and he says, I'm not going to decide between you and man, I am going to stick with what God tells me through his son, Jesus Christ. So that comes down to us. We can take this um, advice from Peter. And further, here's Peter, um, the passage that we just read, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his glory and excellence. So we have Peter speaking in all three of these examples. We have him quoted there in the book of Acts. Luke writes the book of Acts. He's quoting Peter. And then Peter himself writes and says these things about the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. So the, the, the same man who says we must obey God rather than men and we cannot stop speaking that which we have seen and heard encourages us by telling us that every, God has given to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So Peter walks the walk of the talk that he talked. It's not just talk for Peter. He's demonstrating it in his own life. 
when he was faced with accusers who were telling him that he's going to be punished if he doesn't stop saying what he is saying, to, to muzzle him, to, to, to silence him in speaking the gospel, Peter says, I'm not going to do that. You might do that. I'm not going to. Because God's word is important. Because he's given us everything that we need if we want to live a faithful life committed and in obedience to our Lord. He's told, us, he's told us how to do that. So when things like this come along in our culture, when our freedom of religion is, is becoming more and more in the crosshairs of our political leaders, we still have to side with our Lord. We still have to be on the side of God just like Peter did. He's our example, isn't he? I'm not going to be silenced. I'm not going to give in to what you think. I'm not going to choose man over God. I'm going to choose God every time. So when we see these things, and these, these things in, in our world come by, and this, this one with LGBTQ, all that, it is so... Uh, we're, we're inundated with it. It's probably touched every one of us in this audience in, so, in one way or another. We're just inundated in it. And that's by design. There are people who are tearing at the fabric of, of the society and they're tearing at the fabric of religion. And they'd like nothing better than to outlaw the, the practice of free religion in this country. It's happened already in Canada. The seeds of it were sown right here in our country. So the warning is that this could be coming to us. I'm not trying to be negative, and I'm not trying to tell us that all is lost. In fact, I'm telling you the opposite. I'm telling you to stick with God's word. Stick with the morality and the principles that we have been given that are timeless. Cultures will come and go. Societies, governments, all that will come and go. God's word is enduring. And his knowledge and his wisdom is enduring. Let's hold to that preciously, fervently. That's what we must do. And if we'll do that, we'll be fine. It may be that there may be a knock on our door there one day and I might get hauled out of here in handcuffs. And I'll tell you, brethren, I'll be happy to go. If I'm standing for God's word, and if that runs afoul of, of man's law, I'll be more than happy to stand for God's word. And I would encourage you to do, do so as well. Make a stand. Stand for God's word. Make a stand for principle. Make a stand for decency and morality. And all that is given to us in his word everything pertaining to life and godliness.